Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday. If you did not get your, this is, by the way, this is real. This is a dried palm leaf. If you've not gotten it, they're, they're out in the lobby. Make sure you pick one up and uh, just wonderful to celebrate what this day means. And traditionally, we call this Palm Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And I remember as a child, maybe remember this growing up in church, um, on Palm Sunday, you would got a, a palm branch. How many remember that? You're old like me. Remember getting those palm branches signifying what Christ did for us and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this would be the Sunday before Jesus' burial, his, his arrest and his death and his resurrection. And much attention in the Gospels is given to this last week of, of Jesus. And what I want to look at today, I want to do a deep dive into why Palm Sunday is so significant. Why did Jesus' entry into Jerusalem cause such a great stir? And this is what I want to dig into this morning. You know, when I listen to sports commentators, um, there's a common vernacular that they will use about a good player or maybe even a good player and an up-and-coming player. They will say something like this, this person is going to be a problem. They're going to be a problem. They're going to be a problem for the opposing team. They see their talent, their their giftedness, and they know they're going to pose a problem. You've got to watch out for this person. I want you to know Jesus was a problem for the religious elite of his time. He caused a great stir. And I want you to understand, when he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he caused quite a stir. They just didn't know what to do with Jesus. They didn't like what Jesus was doing, and they didn't like what he was saying and what he represented. And we know, looking back, why Jesus came. And we understand that he came for the broken and the hurting and the sinner to come and seek and save that which was lost. Aren't you thankful that Jesus came? And he came for us, and he was God, and he is God. And I want you to just know this morning, if you're here and and maybe you just you feel lost in your life, or maybe what your purpose is, or or just things have happened to you in your life that you just can't explain and you're hurting this morning. I want you to know that Christ understands that. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus is a humble king. And he's a king that came to serve us. Not to be served, but to serve us and transform our lives into what they ought to be. And we're going to see that in the story today. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 today, the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to look at exactly what happened when Jesus came in on this Palm Sunday as he enters into Jerusalem. And I think we're going to learn some new things today. In my study, I learned something new about this that I didn't know. Now, for all you theologians, maybe you already knew this. And you say, duh, Pastor, I already knew this. But hopefully, you're going to learn something new through God's word. Aren't you thankful that we always can learn something new in God's word? And so I'm grateful for that. So we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And let's read what happens here. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage or Bethphage. You can pronounce it either way, a potato, patata, doesn't really matter. I'm going to say Bethpage for just the sake it's easier to pronounce. And so they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. It says, say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes 
to you gentle riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and he brought the donkey and the colt, and he placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Very important we understand this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Can we say amen to God's word? So let's understand what's going on here. To better understand this triumphal entry, we must understand what happened just before this. And in Matthew chapter 20, it's recorded for us that Jesus was on a road and there was two blind men that were sitting on this road. And as Jesus passed by, they shouted out to Jesus and they said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, what do you think they wanted him to do for them? Could you give us some food? No, they wanted their sight restored. And so Jesus asked them, and by faith, they reach out to Jesus, and Jesus restores their sight. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus had compassion for them. He touched their eyes, and immediately their their eyesight was restored. A beautiful miracle. This is a beautiful story of Jesus' love and compassion and his power to heal. And for these two men, they saw the power of Christ and his power to heal. Now, something else is happening here that I don't want you to miss. And understanding this will give us a greater context to Jesus' triumphal entry. I want you to notice how the blind men address Jesus. They give him the title, Son of David. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean that they gave him the son, the, 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 the title, the Son of David? It's a messianic title. And everyone there would know what they meant because they're waiting for a Messiah to come. Biblical prophecy told them that a Messiah would come to rescue them. Now, in their mindset, they're thinking for a Messiah to come to rescue them from political tyranny. They they want someone to get them out of the oppression of Rome and someone to take over and set up his earthly kingdom. But what we see here is Jesus is fulfilling prophecy that this king is not going to come on a war horse and enter this kingdom and enter the Jerusalem by force. But the prophet tells us that this king is going to come on a donkey and it's going to be a humble king. And I want you to understand something this morning. Jesus will one day come back, the scriptures tell us, on a horse, on a white horse. And written on his thigh is going to be what? King of kings and Lord of lords. So that day is coming. Amen. But Jesus knows what he needs to do for us. Our biggest problem wasn't political. We all think, well, if we could just settle the the political issue, the economic issue, the education issue, we can settle all all these things, our life would be much better. Haven't we done an absolutely wonderful job in doing all those things, right? The reason why we are flawed and we are sinners and we can't fix ourselves See, Jesus understood our greatest need was a spiritual one. 
So his first coming was was to come and solve our greatest spiritual issue. And that was our sin issue and our rebellion against God. And that Jesus comes to reconcile us back to a right relationship with God and to transform and to fix our hearts that are broken because of sin. So they recognize him as son of David. This Messiah would come in the line of David. They understood the prophecy concerning a Messiah that would come and rescue them. And so the son of David, this title is the highest title. It's the ultimate king, that he would be the king of kings. Now what's interesting here is that someone calls this out in public for the first time. Someone actually uses this title for the first time. They call Jesus king of kings and they give him this title that's above everyone else. Now, how does Jesus react at this time? He doesn't correct them, but he accepts the title and he says, this is true of me. You see, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry doesn't want to come out at this time because he knew that his timing was not right. So he keeps a low profile. In fact, his disciples wanted him to declare who he was early in his ministry because they witnessed his power. But he waits until now to receive the title as king of kings. I want you to understand something here. Jesus was completely in control of every event. And sometimes we think, well, this was done by the hand of man and they were, it was a faulty arrest and a terrible trial. I want you to understand, God had it all in control. God knew exactly what he was doing. What seems to us through our eyes, like how is God going to use this? Have you ever felt that way in your life? Like, God, how are you going to use this in my life? God is sovereign. He knows what's best. And so God is doing this. God is completely in control. And so his disciples wanted to come out earlier, but that wasn't, that wasn't his timing. This, this was his timing. And at this point, everything will escalate. At this point, everything is going to escalate. So Jesus is, is this fulfilled king that would come, and he is different from what everybody else would think of a king. They wanted a king who would rescue them from this political uh, tyranny. They did not understand that this king would have to die on a cross. And everything Jesus does leading up to his triumphal entry is planned. It's planned. This was not a haphazard event. And he sends his disciples. We see this when he sends his disciples ahead to get the donkey. This wasn't, this wasn't prearranged. Why? Jesus told them to, to ask the owner. And if, he, and if he asked why, say the Lord needs it. Because this was a fulfillment of prophecy, of biblical prophecy, told about this Messiah hundreds of years earlier. Jesus is entirely in control about what is going to happen. He's orchestrating his entry into Jerusalem. Now, have you ever thought this? Have you ever thought, how did the crowd know that Jesus was coming? I mean, they didn't have Facebook back then. There wasn't a big Facebook announcement. Hey, Jesus is coming. Everybody get ready. Get your, you know, get your palm branches out. You know, get your cloaks out. Lay them in the street. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't any of that. How did the crowds know? Now, Here's what I didn't understand. This is where you can learn something new from God's word all the time. Here's what I didn't understand. I thought people in Jerusalem saw him coming and then shouted out and then laid their cloaks before him. And I want you to see how Jesus is completely in control. Jesus orchestrated this whole event. 
And I want you to see, I want you to see how Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller does a, gives a great observation here. The donkey is from Beth Page. And I want to, let, let me connect the dots for you. The dots for you. Beth Page and Bethany were two villages just outside of Jerusalem, and they were actually next to each other. Now, we know through Scripture that Jesus spent a lot of time there. Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus were from Bethany. People there in these small villages knew the power of Jesus. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And in those two towns, word gets around. Right, people in Wayne County? right? We get that. Word gets around. Everybody knows each other. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not talking to somebody like, you yeah, we're related. I'm like, what do we live in, West Virginia? No, I'm just teasing. I mean, it's just crazy. I'm sorry if you're from West... Boy, I... Don't... Back, back, back. It's amazing, it's amazing how word gets around. They know the power of Jesus. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. So if you're looking for a crowd, listen to me, if you're looking for a crowd, it would be those who witnessed the power of Jesus. Now, I never saw this before, and now it makes so much sense to me, and maybe you never saw this, but you're theologians, so you probably already got this. But, but look, at, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna. Why was Jerusalem in such a stir? They had no idea what was going on. Jesus orchestrated this whole thing. The crowds were not from Jerusalem. They were from outside of Jerusalem. So when does the crowd arrive? As soon as the donkey gets there. The crowds were from Beth Page and Bethany. Now, I never, ever saw that. Thank you, Pastor Tim Keller. Now, here's where I want you to connect the dots. Jesus is completely in control. He wants the city to be stirred up because the king is entering the city. The king of kings who will come and die for our sins is entering the city. The fulfilled prophecy of hundreds of years earlier of the Messiah that would come is entering the city. We don't have to wait any longer. He is the Messiah. And Jesus orchestrates this whole huge event. Jesus is pushing the envelope, ensuring he is recognized as Lord and King and making it known to the religious elite and everyone else in Jerusalem I'm here. I've arrived. I am the fulfillment of the Messiah that you're looking for. Now, Jesus, he enters, it rocks the whole city, and it caused a problem. Jesus caused a problem. This is exactly what he wanted to do. And what's ironic is the way Jesus comes into the city. A triumphal and conquering king does not come riding into a city on a donkey. You see, when a conquering army would come back into the city, there was this huge victory parade where people would wave their branches in victory, victory of war. When a conquering king comes riding, he doesn't come riding in on Eeyore. Okay? He doesn't come riding on Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, you know? Okay, here we go. Come on, you know, here we go. Right, Winnie the Pooh, right? Let's go. Woo! Victory, right? 
That's not how it comes. He comes in, and he comes in, he rides up in victory, and people are waving their palm branches. This isn't how Jesus does it. Jesus doesn't come in on a white horse, a war horse, but a lowly donkey. This, too, is calculated by Jesus. And see, the answer for us is found in verse 5. A donkey is lowly. A donkey is not a war horse. It's gentle, meek, and mild. The scriptures tell us through prophecy, through biblical prophecy, that your king comes to you gentle. A servant, a servant is one who rides a donkey. Now, I want, to, I want to be clear here for you this morning. This may not be the type of king they thought because they wanted a king who was going to come and overthrow Roman oppression, but this humble king, this is what they need, and this is what you and I need. And for us to understand about a relationship with God, we need to humble ourselves and approach God in humility, realizing we don't deserve his mercy or his grace. But Jesus doesn't come just to be served. He came to serve us and lay his life down as a ransom for you and I. That's why I serve Jesus. There is no one like him. And at the age of 16, April 1982, a lot of years ago, I bowed my heart before my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that transformed my heart. And I want you to know, this is the type of king that we serve. One who willingly gives his life for you and I, who comes humbly into Jerusalem on a donkey, not to come in as the conquering king to lift them up and put him on a throne at that moment, but to come in and then die on a cross for you and I, because that's our greatest need. We need a humble king. And the only way you're going to receive Jesus is by humbling yourself before him and recognizing you can't do it on your own. And when you do that, God's grace and his mercy floods into your life and he transforms your heart. So this is the king that we need. This is the humble king that they need. This is the humble king we need. So this king would come and serve us and give his life for us. And my question to you is, what king does that? That makes Jesus different from every other figure who has ever lived. But in no way is Jesus weak. He might be a humble king, but he knows who he is. And he, know why, he knew why he came and what his purpose was. Because I want you to notice something. That after Jesus enters Jerusalem, he doesn't just accept all the accolades and say, yeah, I'm the king. Blah, blah, blah. He comes in. And where does he go first? He goes to the temple. And he goes into the temple and he drives out all those who are buying and selling. Who does that? Who has the authority to come in and say, out, you guys are gone. And this is what he says. And I want you to realize the reason why he did this. Because the temple represented the house of God. This is where people would come to worship God. And where they were buying and selling was in the court of the Gentiles. The people that were not Jewish, this is the only place they could worship. If you're Jewish, you could take a next step and go into the next court where there was no buying and selling, all the commotion. And Jesus walks in and there's all this buying and selling. They were buying sacrifices for worship. That's okay. And it used to be done outside the temple, but for convenience sake, let's say, we don't care about the Gentiles. We'll just do it here. And they had no place to worship. 
Jesus walks in and starts turning over tables. Jesus is a problem. He's creating a problem for those who ignored the very people that Jesus came for. Let me just take a little side note here. Can I just, I'm going to give you a sermon within a sermon, and it's free of cost. Okay, I'm glad you're here this morning. Listen, listen. Jesus puts no stumbling blocks before us by saying, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, then you can come to me. And many people feel like, well, pastor, I got to fix myself up first before I can come to church. Or, you know, let me get a suit first, pastor, and I'll come. I'm wearing jeans and a button-down shirt, okay? I said, come as you are. And so what Jesus is doing is taking away any stumbling block that would keep people from worshiping him. Jesus does all the work for you. He says, you come just as you are, and I'll fix you, and I'll do the work. And what we try to do in our own pride is try to do it ourselves. And God says, you can't do it yourself. You need me. Let me do the fixing for you, and I will no wise cast you out, and I won't put any hurdles before you. I won't put any obstacles before you. So he goes into the temple, and he drives out all those that are selling, and then what does he say? Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house. Jesus says, this is my house. And when Jesus says, this is my house, he's claiming to be God. Clear, crystal clear. Jesus is a humble king, but he claims to be God. In this statement, in this very statement, Believe me, the religious elite are beginning to listen. This guy is claiming to be God. Jesus purposely does this to make his claim and make no mistakes about it. He's claiming to be God. And so Jesus gave us no other way to believe in him. Either we believe that he's God or we believe that he is not. That's what sends Jesus to the cross, his claim of divinity. And if you lived during that time and you were a religious elite and you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee and you saw that, you say, this, this guy's claiming to be God and he deserves death. That's what sent him to the cross, but it all orchestrated by God. He doesn't give us a choice. He isn't just a nice person or a prophet or another religious teacher. What he does is he comes into the temple and he rearranges the furniture. I don't know about you. How many of you have ever gone into somebody else's house and said, you know what? I don't like where your couch is. Can I rearrange that? You know, can I put this over here and your coffee table? What are you thinking? It's wherever. I can't even put my coffee over here. What do you, what do you think? Let's move it over here. You wouldn't do that. Why? Because it ain't your house. And if somebody started doing it, you'd be like, huh? you think you are this ain't your home go back to your own house what does jesus do rearranges the furniture why my house my house will be called a house of prayer my house will be called a house of prayer jesus's claim to divinity is what sends him to the cross so jesus coming in on a donkey is the king of kings only makes sense if you understand his purpose. A commander riding to war on a donkey is going to die. He is going to die. Donkeys are not meant 
for war. Jesus comes into Jerusalem as a servant to sacrifice his life as an offering for God. He knew precisely what he was doing. He knew precisely what we needed. Jesus is willing to take the role of a servant, a servant king. Israel wanted a political ruler, but that wasn't the answer for them. No amount of political freedom could rescue them from their sins. They needed a savior. True freedom for your lives, people, can only come through Christ. See, the message of Palm Sunday is this, is that we're saved through a gentle king. And the only way to save your life is to recognize that you're weak and you can't do it yourself. So why the palm branches? Why the palm branches? Because it symbolizes victory. Now, for those, for Jesus, maybe they had it wrong. They were thinking, you know, symbolizes victory over political tyranny. But for us, for us looking back, it symbolizes victory over sin. The conquering king who rides on, the, on a lowly donkey who comes to give his life conquers sin and death for you and I. I want you to look at these palm branches to remind you of your victory over sin and death through Christ Jesus. Every time you look at this palm branch, you say, it's not me doing it. It's not through my works. It's only through the work of Christ Jesus that I can overcome my sin. The reason why I'm confident that I'm able to stand before God and have eternal life is not because of what Bardinger Race has done. Because I'm a train wreck, amen? We're all train wrecks, right? We are, we admit it. The reason why I have confidence is because Jesus provided for me. And the word of God tells us to put our faith in him. Jesus becomes our substitute. He becomes our go-between. He's our mediator. God sends him on a rescue mission to save us from our sins. And he says the way you have confidence in knowing that you have eternal life is by putting your faith in Christ Jesus and believing in him. And then by God's grace, we are saved. Free gift of grace, not based on your merit or how good or bad you think you are, all based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's victory. So when you feel like you've messed up again and you feel like your past is so heavy, pastor, you don't understand. I've made a lot of mistakes. Look to Christ. He conquers it for you. And the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he is the humble king the King of Kings, God himself who came to rescue you and I. That's who came in to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? Can we thank the Lord this morning for that conquering king? Amen. Amen. So we're going to celebrate by taking communion this morning, and then we're going to celebrate by dunking a bunch of people and (laughs) celebrating new life and how God has transformed them. So if you've got your communion cups, um, the best way to open these these cups is break the plastic tab off first. If you break the whole plastic tab off, it will reveal the uh, 
the foil that will reveal the wafer and then the foil that will reveal the grape juice. That's the best way to do it. I, I apologize. These are very hard to open sometimes. We're working on getting different ones to make it easier. So thank you for your patience. We love you guys. <laughs> Amen. So as we take communion today, I, I want you to hold these emblems in your hand because they represent that humble king, that servant king that died for us. Jesus said to his disciples, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me, of Jesus' finished work on the cross. The wafer represents the body of Christ that was crushed for us, that was bruised for our sins, for our iniquities. The cup symbolizes the perfectly shed blood, that sacrifice, that substitute that he was for you and I for our sins, that he bore our sins on that cross so that we could be forgiven and we could be made right before holy God. Jesus allowed himself to be an offering to his Father, a perfect offering to appease his righteous holy standards. No one unholy can stand before the Lord. And every single one of us in this room are unholy. In our own merit, we could never stand before a holy God. He knew that. That's why he provides the humble king for us. That through him and through his sacrifice, it appeased the righteous demand of God that we could be made right through him. So as we celebrate communion today, we remember Jesus' sacrifice, that it's only through him that we can find salvation and be made right before God. If you're here today and you're not comfortable and you're not there in your faith yet, by all means, no judgment. You don't have to take communion. That's, that's fine. But you could be here right now and say, you know what? I want Jesus to forgive me. I want him to heal me. I want him to come into my life, take communion. We will celebrate with you and God will receive you through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we pray, Let's just thank God for his goodness, for his shed blood, for his uh, forgiveness that he offers each and every one of us. So would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for what these emblems symbolize. And as we sit here today, none of us are perfect. We've all fallen short of your perfection. But we thank you for Jesus, who was perfect and met your righteous demands. And it's through him that we are received, accepted, and forgiven. So as we take these today, we remember Jesus' sacrifice We proclaim that he and he alone is God, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way to the Father, and it's only through his sacrifice that we can be made right. So we celebrate that today. As we lay our lives before you, as we lay our sins before you, we thank you that they're covered in the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's by faith we receive this, and it's by your grace that we're forgiven. We love you, we praise you, and we ask these things. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's partake of the wafer together. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was given for us. And then let's partake of the cup together as we thank God for his precious son and his blood that was shed for us. Amen. 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 Can we thank the Lord this morning for his goodness and his word today? Amen. Amen. What we're going to do is we are... So excited to celebrate with eight individuals who have given their lives to Christ. And for those of you that are here today, that are visiting, or our, our guests today, witnessing this, we're so glad you came today and uh, to be able to witness this. What, what these individuals have said is, we're receiving Christ, we believe on him, and water baptism is symbolic 
of our death with Christ, that he died with us, and that we raise a new life with him through his resurrection. So going under the water symbolizes our old life, and coming out of the water, it it, it celebrates our new life in Christ. Baptism doesn't save us. It's our faith in Christ Jesus that saves us. But what baptism does is it's it's a testimony to the world that I now identify with Christ through his death and resurrection, and I want the world to know what Jesus means to me. So thank you for for being here, those that came today to witness this, and family and friends, thank you for coming. This is such a a wonderful, wonderful thing. My favorite thing that we do is is baptizing those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and want to identify with him as their Lord and Savior. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in song.